Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the fourth week of our Boom Roasted series. And so all month long, what we've been doing is we've been answering your questions. You've some, we've gotten many, many, many questions. Um, and like I said from week one, we're not going to be able to answer them all. I'm trying to answer as many as I can. If I don't get to your question that you submitted, um, I'm saving all of them, and we're, we do this annually. And so we'll, we'll bring a lot of these questions back next year and, and receive some more. But if your question is not answered this month, I'm sorry. And if you would really like an answer to it, um, email me, because I don't know who sent all of the questions. I know who sent some of them, but some are anonymous and, and those sort of things. Uh, but it's, it's important for us to ask questions and search for the answer to those questions. So, so far this month, these are the questions that we've answered. We've answered, uh, why are there so many denominations and how do I know what to believe? We, uh, we asked the question, how do I know what is actually true? And am, how do I know if what I am following is right? How do I know what truth is? Uh, we talked about, why would Jesus even die for me? I don't, and the, the, the person who wrote the question said, I don't really feel that I deserve and I could never pay him back for what, for what he did for me. And there's a little bit of guilt involved with that. What was the plan behind Jesus' sacrifice? And then last week, Pastor Nicole did a good job of, of talking about baptism, talking about how it is necessary to be baptized, or, or rather answering the question of, is it necessary to be baptized in order to be born again? And um, do I need to be baptized as an adult if I was already baptized as a kid? So these are all questions that we have already addressed throughout this month. And if you missed any of those, you can go to our YouTube page and watch it, except for last week because our live stream did not work last week. So if you want to know about baptism, Pastor Nicole serving in our kids area today, you can go and ask her. Don't ask me. And it'll be good. <laughs> so, oh, before, before I dive into this, I'm sorry, I was, forgot to, I, I was supposed to announce this and, and I forgot. We have an announcement to make um, for City on a Hill. So if, you, if you've been around, um, you, you know that uh, Janine, who is our Hill Kids director, is stepping down at the end of this month. And she's done a great job in, in the role that she's in. She was 20 hours a week, paid staff. She's stepping down as our Hill Kids director. And we have made a new hire for our uh, children's director. Uh, starting after next Sunday is Janine's last Sunday, and starting the following week, um, Allison Andres is going to be taking over as our children's director. Um, so we're very excited about that. If you know Allison, she's been a part of our church. Jeremy, her husband's in here right now. Allison is currently serving in our kids area, so you can go and say hi to her afterwards and, and congratulate her. Um, but if you know Allison, she's been a part of our church since day one uh, and has served in our kids ministry since day one and knows the ministry in and out, has been heavily involved, and we are very excited to welcome her onto our staff in a uh, paid position, 20 hours a week, uh, filling in Janine's role that as she is stepping out of. So next week is Janine's last Sunday, not at our church. She's not leaving our church. She's still going to be here. And then Allison is going to be taking over uh, the following week. So we're excited about that. So that's the first announcement. The second announcement is that um, Abby King, Abby, is she? Yeah, there you are, right over here. Abby King has also been brought onto our staff in a volunteer role for our youth pastor. So she just received her local license uh, in the Church of the Nazarene uh, a month ago, which is very exciting. So she's on the track to ordination, and she's going to be in a volunteer role serving as our uh, youth director, youth pastor, working with teenagers. So we have two new staff members that are going to be coming on here. Um, Abby has actually already started, 
and uh, Allison's going to be starting next week. So some things are shifting, some things are changing, but God's working. So you can congratulate them afterwards and, and, and talk to them. Say hi to them if, you, if you've never met them or introduced yourself to them. Um, it's a good opportunity to do that. Abby's going to be closing our service in prayer today, so you'll hear her pray. But uh, exciting things. We're sad to be losing Janine, but we know that God is working, and we're excited about, about all that's happening. Sound good? Okay, I guess I'll preach now. And so... We talked about a wide range of topics so far, and um, you've done a wonderful job of sending in all of your questions, and, um, and, and we're excited about them. So I'm going to answer three questions today. I'm going to try to get to three of them, okay? And the first one is probably the most important question that, that I've received so far, okay? First question is, is this, Pastor Shane, for the record, DC or Marvel? So this is difficult. <laughs> difficult one to answer. <laughs> it's, it's not Chase, <laughs> but um, I know that Chase is going to have opinions about this. So I know that so many of you have been dying to hear the answer to this question. You've just been wondering. And so I, yeah, I could get in trouble with, with what I say here. The answer to this question is obviously Marvel, okay? But obviously, yeah, that's right. If we're talking movies specifically, right, the MCU has has beat the DC Universe in, in a landslide, right? I mean, I don't even know what the DC Universe is doing. If you're not a superhero fan, just hang on, okay? Because it's only going to take about 30 minutes. But the, <laughs> the, the DC Universe, they're a mess. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what, that, what they're thinking. They're all over the place. They've rushed all of their movies. It, the, however, I will say this, okay? If we're talking DC and Marvel... Talking about the Marvel Universe compared to the DC Universe, not even a comparison. But, but, I do think that Batman is the greatest superhero that was ever created. In my opinion. In my opinion. Which is the right opinion. But, <laughs> the Dark Knight movies specifically are some of the best superhero movies that I've ever seen. And the Dark Knight, in, in and of itself, the one with Heath Ledger is one of the greatest movies, period, that I've ever seen. So, let's all stand and sing as we close, and I'll, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that many of you have been wondering where I landed on that. So, my answer is Marvel is definitely the best, but I think that Batman is the greatest superhero. So, um, you can argue with Chase about that afterwards, um, and any questions that you have there. So, all right, let's, let's, let's answer another question. One down, two more to go, okay? Um, I think that this, this question is a very good one that I think many people have thought but never really want to ask, all right? Here, here's the question. Why is God such a glory hog? <laughs> this, I don't know who wrote this question, but I appreciate how you don't hold back any punches, okay? Why is God such a glory hog? And... Um, it's, it's, it's a question that I think many of us may have thought in our lives but are too scared to ask. Why, why does God need all of the glory? Why, God constantly says that, that we should give glory back to him. And actually, not long ago, we talked about how our purpose as the church is to glorify God in all that we do, right? But when we, when we hear these things, it can be easy for it to seem like, now this is, this, is, this is scary for me to say, but it can be easy for us, for it to seem like God is selfish, 
It can be easy to seem like God is arrogant. It can be easy to seem like God is prideful or that he is full of himself if we do not have a healthy view of who God actually is. It can be easy to, to go down that road and to be like, wait a second. Why, why does God need all of the glory? Because in the way that, that we operate and in, in the way that I operate, I think that humility is huge, right? And if there's ever a person who needs recognition, then to me, that is a person who is self-conscious and maybe has some, some doubts about themselves. And maybe they, in order to feel better about themselves, they need other people to recognize, and then that's where affirmation comes from. And so it's easy to take that idea and apply it to God. And to think that maybe God is either arrogant or self-conscious. Like, it's easy to go down that road of like, hmm, okay. If God needs all of this credit, if God needs all of this glory, is it because he doesn't, he's not confident in what he's doing and because in, in who he is? I mean, this, this is a difficult question to answer. And we talk about giving God glory all the time, right? All the time. I just mentioned how a few weeks ago, we said the purpose of the church is to bring glory back to God. So if God is so great, then why does he need all the glory? Shouldn't his actions just speak for itself? Why does he need everyone to glorify him? It's a really, really good question. A question that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. At least it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But I'll be honest. I've thought this in my life. Hmm, why? Why Why is it like this? It says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, everything that you do, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, whether you're eating a sandwich, whether you're at the drive-thru at McDonald's, right? Even when you're in an argument with your spouse, even when the ravens blow a lead, right? Even, even when you think nobody else is around, give glory to God in all that I do. That's challenging. That's hard. Because it's easy to give glory to God when you're sitting in these pews. It's, it's easy to give glory to God when, when you're around other people who are watching you. It's easy to give glory to God in all those situations, but in everything that I do, I need to give glory to God in it. First off, how? And then second off, why? That's a, that is a challenging thing because we could just read that and just skip over it and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything that I do, give glory to God. Yep, great, sounds good. But we don't actually live as if we believe that. But the question today is not so much of how do we do that, but why? Why do we need to do that? In, um, in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, John Piper, who is a pastor, um, he suggests a reason for our issue with God and, and him receiving glory. And this is where our misunderstanding comes in. It, it'll be a quote that'll be on the screen. This is directly from his book. It says this, <clears throat> most people are willing to, to be God-centered as long as we feel that God is man-centered. It is a subtle danger. We may think that we are centering our lives on God, 
when we are really making him a means of self-esteem. Over against this danger, I urge you to ponder the implications, brothers, that God loves his glory more than he loves us, and that this is the foundation of his love for us. That's a challenging quote. It's challenging. In other words, for many of us, we're only giving glory to God as long as it results in our glory in the end. That, that's, that's the way a lot of us go about this. God, I'll give you glory as long as you take that glory and turn it back around and give it back to me. And that's not actually giving glory. Rather, that's, a, that's self-motivation here. It's a, it's an, there's an ulterior motive. Because we as people, as human beings, are naturally selfish and self-centered. I don't have to try to be self-centered. Everything that happens in my life, my first thought is, well, how does this affect me? How, how does this affect me? In what way is this going to impact my life? You have a poor interaction with somebody at work. How does this affect me? Maybe your boss makes a decision of way they're going to change some things, and you're like, oh, what does this mean for me? You hear about maybe your children struggling in school. Well, how does this, how does this look on me? Our first instinct is normally me. So when it comes to giving glory to God, we're not really giving glory to God. We're attempting to give glory to ourselves behind the veil of humility and God. And that is dangerous, extremely dangerous. The last, the last line in, in that quote was so shocking to me the first time that I read it. Ponder the implications that God loves his glory more than he loves us, and that this is the foundation of his love for us. What does that mean? What does that look like? Now, don't, don't twist his words. He's not saying that God doesn't love us. But he's saying, ponder the implications that God loves his glory and that that is his motivation above just his love for us. See, God's ultimate commitment is to himself and not to us. But that is exactly where our security is found. Here's what it says in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 23. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, if you know anything about Ezekiel, he's a prophet. He's speaking on behalf of God. So God is saying to Ezekiel, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am Lord. See, here, here's the thing. If you read through Scripture, this is consistent all throughout Scripture, where God says over and over and over again, I'm not doing this for your sake. I'm not doing it for the sake of your name, Israel. I'm not doing this for the sake of your name, Shane. I'm not doing this for the sake of your name. I'm doing this for the sake of my name so that my glory is shown throughout the nations, throughout the lands. See, we, we think, we, we have a misinterpretation where we think, God looks down on us and he goes, oh, for the sake of people, I will do this. And over and over and over and over again throughout scripture, I, I could give you 
30 different verses where it says, I'm not doing this for your sake, I'm doing this for the sake of my name. And we don't like to talk about this because this is uncomfortable. This is kind of weird to us because we are so self-centered that we think everything is about us. We think everything in this world is about me. Surely God is doing all of this because of me and me alone. For your, for, I'm not doing these things for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. Over and over and over and over again, we see these verses. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, Paul wrote this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this passage, it does not mean that we are saved in spite of our faithlessness. That's not, that's not what it means, which, which it can look like from, from the surface. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's not, it's not like God says, in spite of your faithlessness, I, I am going to remain faithful. Rather, he remains faithful is better interpreted as he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. See, God's most fundamental allegiance is to who he is, his character, his being. That's, that's where he is focused. God is committed to being God at all times because the very spirit, spirit of God is worthy of all glory due to the fact that God's spirit is ablaze with his love for his children. So what this means, what this means, I know that this, this, this when I was writing this, I'm like, ah, my head is spinning, okay? But what this means is this. God's actual being, God's actual spirit is a spirit that is in love with his children. That's what it means. His being is in love with you. And his allegiance is not to loving you. His allegiance is to being God, being in the character of God, pointing back to his glory. And that, that is his allegiance because he is God. He cannot, be, he cannot not be God. The minute that he acts out of character, then he is no longer God. So sometimes we say, well, there is nothing that God can't do, and it's not true. God cannot sin, because if God sinned, then, as we talked about a few weeks ago, sin is a literal departure from the character of God. That's what it is. So God cannot do that. God cannot sin. Otherwise, he would no longer be God. So why is God such a glory hog? The answer is, he does everything for his glory because his glory is the foundation of our salvation. That's what it is. It's the foundation of our salvation. His very spirit is deserving of all glory in all of the earth because it is the only thing in this world that saves humanity. And he deserves all of the glory because pointing back to his glory is pointing back to his love for us. It's who he is. He is the creator of love, the inventor of love, the creator of hope. It is in his character. It is in his foundation. It is literally, literally his character. It is not God asking for glory to feel better about himself. It is God asking for glory because he is remaining true to his character by pointing to who he is, and then we see salvation. See, it's not, God, God does not need to come along and say, hey, hey, praise me, praise me, praise me so that I can feel good. It's, hey, praise me so that you can recognize what is found in me. It's a huge difference, huge difference here. 
So over and over and over again, if God, if God said to Israel, oh, house of Israel, I'm saving you for your sake, what would that do to Israel? That would make them be like, huh, we're special. We're more important than everybody else. Look, look at me. I'm, I'm wonderful. God picked us. I'm more important than everybody else. And guess what? Churches still do that. Oh, look at us. We're a city on a hill. We're the best. We're more important. We figured it out. Nobody else has. We've got it all figured out. We're perfect, and God loves us more than other people. Do you see the danger with that? You see the road that we can go down? So God does not save people for our sake. He saves people for his name's sake so that more people can then be saved. If we point back to God, all the glory, then when people look at us, I don't want them to see city on a hill. I want them to see the savior of the universe. Because I can't save anybody, you can't save anybody, but God can save everybody if we allow him. It isn't God being a glory hog. It's God pointing us back to salvation, back to love in every, in every way, form, and fashion. All right, let's ask one more question. Here, here's, here's the next question. Can a person who has become a Christian stop being a Christian? It's a good question. Very good question that, that a lot of people have asked. And there are two general phrases that people use with this topic. Either once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation. Those seem to be the two general phrases that, that people use. Once saved, always saved, or lose your salvation. And to be honest with you, I don't like either of those phrases. I don't think that they do a good job of accurately communicating what Scripture says. So in order to answer this question, we must first have a solid understanding of what it means to be a Christian and we talked about salvation extensively over the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, we talked, the, the sermon that I gave was the bottom line foundation of what it means and what it looks like to accept salvation. If you, if you didn't hear that, go, go to our YouTube page and listen to it. Check it out because it's, it gives us a solid foundation to work from, okay? But the most basic understanding of being a Christian is this. Accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf by dying on the cross and then every person has sinned, which causes separation from God. And the only way to experience salvation is through the grace of Jesus. That's the that's Cliff Notes version of what it means to experience salvation and what it means to actually be a Christian, okay? So then the question is, can a person make that decision and then no longer be a Christian? It's a big question. So if a person accepts that gift, they ever stop accepting that gift? And I believe that the answer to that is yes. Here, here's why. Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 22, says this. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will, say, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So this is Paul talking to the church in Rome. And he's talking about remaining connected to the root or being connected to the life source. And we cannot remain alive if we are separated from the root, from the life source. And why were some of the branches broken off? Because of unbelief. So the phrase, can you lose your salvation, I don't like that phrase because it's, it's not accurate. See, it is an active decision of unbelief. You don't lose your salvation like you lost your car keys. Where you're walking around the house, you're like, where did I put it? Where is that salvation? I can't seem to find it anywhere. I know I had it. I left it here when I walked in the door, but somehow it moved. I don't know where it went, and I can't seem to find it. The other day, I went downstairs, and, uh, and my son, Russell, he said, Daddy, I can't find the remote to the TV. Yeah, I let my kids watch TV, so sue me. Okay, so <laughs> he said, I can't find the remote to the TV. And I said, oh, well, do you know where it went to? And he said, yep. And I was like, what does that mean? He was like, I can't find it, but I hit it. I was like, golly. <laughs> okay. Well, where did you hide it? And he said, I know where it is. And I was like, well, then go get it. He said, nope. I was like, so now I have to search for this remote that he knew where it was, that he hid intentionally just to watch me like crawl around on the ground with like a flashlight under the couch and be like, where did you put this remote to the TV? It was an active decision for him to hide the remote. But then he said, I lost it. No, he didn't lose it. He placed it somewhere that nobody could get to it or maybe we would just happen to stumble upon it and eventually I, I was like, okay, enough is enough. Find the remote. And then he just walked over and he hit it under something and he pulled it out. I was like, here it is. And I was like, see, you didn't actually lose it, Russell. You got to understand here, there's a difference between losing something and actively hiding something. And that's what we do with salvation. It's an active unbelief. So there are times where we get to a place where I believe that this can happen. And, and according to Paul in the book of Romans, this can happen where we are a part of the root, we're a part of the life source, we're part of the olive, olive tree, we're a branch. Remember, the problem is we think we are the root. We're not. We are the branch. And we become a part of it. And remember, we didn't start there. Rather, we were grafted in. And when we're grafted in, now we are a part of the tree. But if a branch doesn't produce fruit, what happens? You've got to prune it. You've got to get rid of it. It says in Revelation, if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. We don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel comfortable. It's not something that we like to talk about. But it's the reality. You don't lose your salvation. You leave your salvation. Because it is an active decision where every day, every day, you and I are called 
to die to ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. It's not like we just get to a place where we say, all right, I was 13 years old, and I said, Jesus, I need you, and then I kept living my life the same way. The rest of the, I didn't change anything, but that one day I said, Jesus, hey, come into my heart, so I'm good. No. This, this, is, this is not something that we just like sign up for Planet Fitness and you're a member at a gym for the rest of your life and you never go. How many times do we do that? It's like I'm paying a $10 membership out in Illinois where I lived in like 20 years ago and I just never turned it off, right? I never canceled the membership, so I'm a member at Planet Fitness. It's like, no, that's, yeah, okay, sure, you're a member there, but you're not actually doing anything. This is not a membership club where you sign up and you give your email address and then all of a sudden you're now a member for the rest of your life. This is an active decision daily to follow the creator of the universe, the savior of the universe, and it is something that we have to work at. If you're not growing, you're dying. There's no way around it. If we're not learning, if we're not trying to better ourselves, if we're not going down that road, then we are dying. And eventually, if we keep going down that road, we'll be cut off. And this is harsh. There's no way around it. It is absolutely harsh. It doesn't feel good. I mean, what, the, the last verse. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. See, we like to picture God as this God who, who caters to us who comes alongside of us and babies us and is like, oh, it's okay. I know that you sinned. I know that you, made this, that, that you made this mistake. And we call our sins mistake as if it was an accident. When it wasn't an accident, it was an active decision to do whatever it is that we did. Now, sometimes we make mistakes, sure, but enough of calling sin mistake. A mistake is an accident. We make active decisions to do what is wrong because we are selfish people. There's no way around it. I'm, I'm not trying to sugarcoat things for us. Because I want the truth. I want to know what I need to do to make sure that I'm living in a way that reflects who Jesus is. And we like to th think of God who looks at us and is like, it's okay, it's okay, it's fine. I'll clean up after you. I'll clean up your mess. And there are times where God does that. But if we constantly think that I can do whatever I want and that God's going to clean up my mess for me because he sent Jesus to die for me, and I'm not going to do anything to change. Do you know what we become? A spoiled brat who thinks that the world revolves around us. This is not a one-time decision. It's an active lifestyle. Now, it doesn't mean, I remember as a kid, sitting on, the, uh, sitting on um, uh, driving to school, sitting on the bus, and I remember every day being like, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Like every day. And I had this paranoia as if maybe it didn't take last time. Maybe, maybe it didn't stick. I bet, you know what? Just to be safe, let me pray the sinner's prayer again. And I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was a kid. That is not healthy. God, God does not want us to go through life being like, ooh, am I in danger? Is, is my salvation in, in, is it about to fall off a cliff? Like, that, that's not what God calls for us. The point is, we are supposed to grow we are supposed to keep going because it says that faith without works is what? Dead. 
So we may have faith at a certain time, but if we don't follow it up with a lifestyle, with active decisions, it's going to die. And that's not to scare anybody. It's to challenge us. To say, hey, let's, let's, let's not just settle here. Let's be active in our decisions, active in the way that we live our life, intentional on the things that we do because Jesus Christ is worth it all. So if you're just kind of floating through your relationship with Jesus, okay. But it needs to be more than that. And you may say, I don't have the time. I'm busy. I've got a job. I've got kids. I've got whatever. Fill in the blank. I've got all these things that I've got to take care of. I get it. So what? None of that stuff is more important than Jesus. None of it is more important than your relationship with him. None of it. Doesn't mean you ignore everything, but our priorities. We've talk, I feel like I've talked about this so much over the last year, making sure that our priorities are right. When you've got the right first step, when you've got the right priorities, everything else falls in line. And when you put Jesus first, your family falls in line. Your work falls in line. Your life falls in line. Everything. It's really simple in the end. When we're trying to do it all on our own, God says, you were never meant to do it all on your own. So choose me. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we, as we get ready to close. I want you to focus on running the good race. Pursuing the finish line. Realizing that there's still more to this life. If you're breathing, there's still more to do. There's still more ways to grow. There's still more things that, that you can improve on. We never get to the finish line as long as we're on this side of heaven. Never. If we think, okay, I've arrived. You are far away. That's the joy of life. I don't want to get to a place where I'm like, I'm done. Right? Like, I don't want to get to a place where I'm like, okay, I finished. Now what do I do? I, I'm, I'm just going to wipe my hands of everything. I've accomplished all that I'm supposed to accomplish. I, I've done everything that God's called me to do. I, I'm right there. I, you know what? I'm good to go. I don't want to get to that place. Because that is part of the purpose in life. To get closer to Jesus every day by the decisions that we make. Every single day. We're not perfect. And I don't do this every day. I fall short. You fall short. And the good news is God does provide grace for when we do fall short. We talked about that a lot. So if you feel like I'm leaving grace out of this whole equation, um, we talked about it a lot over the last few weeks. It's always there. Praise God for his grace. Amen. But accepting grace means that it inspires us and motivates us to live for him even more. That's what it means. Rather, if you, if you accept grace and you just say, great, now I can keep messing up. You're missing it. And you're abusing it. up on your relationship with Jesus. It's worthy of all of you. His glory is worthy of all of you. Let's stand and let's sing together.